0: Our first scripture lesson is from Exodus chapter 19. First, let us pray. Everlasting God, we lift our eyes heavenward seeking beauty. Reveal yourself to us that in your word we would see the beauty of truth. Learn to trust in your providence and care, and rest confidently in your generous mercy. Amen. At the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, On that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Our second reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Hear these familiar words. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and grow weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It was the great scholar and theologian Abraham Heschel who said, in regards to this text, no words have ever gone further in offering comfort when a sick and suffering world is crying out. Isaiah is speaking to people in exile, people forcibly removed from their homes, taken to live in another place, kept there long enough that one generation passed away, And another generation began, a whole generation of faithful Jewish people who knew nothing but exile. They were taught that this was not their home, which meant by extension, they had no idea what home really was. They had no idea what comfort felt like. They had no idea what rest could mean. Their entire existence was unsettled and uneasy, and their future was unassured. One scholar writes of both ancient and modern exile There are times in history which are so difficult, times when the challenges are so severe that even the young will faint and grow weary. There are times when hope is all but impossible. To sustain. There are certainly times in our communal life when that has been the case. Some would say that we are living in such a time right now with dual pandemics of a virus that persists and racism that is even more insidious. Some might say we are living in such a time right now but instead point to the violence in Israel and Palestine and the overwhelming death count in India. There are times when hope is all but impossible to sustain. And of course, of course, not a few of you are living through times like that in your personal life as well. Those of you for whom the sea of grief is fresh and new every morning. Or those of you for whom the echo of grief is old yet ever present. Those of you who have recently heard the word cancer again. Those of you desperately trying to make ends meet. Those of you who feel like you might never be enough. No matter how hard you try. There are times when hope is all but impossible to sustain. The prophet Isaiah writes for times like that. Do you not know? He says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Can't you remember? Let me tell you again if you need to hear it, he says. The Lord is the everlasting God. The maker of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He gives strength to the weak and lifts up the powerless. So remember that, Isaiah says. Remember that when life is hard. Remember that the Lord is here for you. And he will lift you up on wings like eagles. And you will soar. And you will run. And you will never more be weary. I promise, Isaiah says. I promise that is possible. Abraham Heschel knew what he was talking about. If you are looking for words of comfort, Isaiah has some of the very best that Scripture can offer. But This is the part of the sermon where I'm going to start talking about birds. And after totally upending some of your most commonly held understandings of pelicans last week, I am filled with a bit of fear and trembling. But I assure you, I am not going to take away any of Isaiah's comfort. And I'm not even going to take anything away from the powerful eagle. I promise. But we do need to talk about translation a little bit. Whenever the Bible is translated, every time the Bible is translated, it's never an exact science. Every translator, no matter how objective they try to be, ultimately makes choices, choosing one word or phrase over another. Now, some of you have heard me say this before. The best way I know to illustrate this is to invite you to write down some letters. Seriously, grab a piece of paper and a pencil. Now, here you go. G-O-D-I-S-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. No spaces, no punctuation, because that's how scripture was originally written down. G-O-D-I-S-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. No spaces, no punctuation, just a stream of letters. So tell me. What does it say? You've probably figured it out. It says, God is now here. Except it also says, God is nowhere. Now, both translations are technically correct. They mean two dramatically different things. So the technical work of translating is one thing, but There is an art to it as well. It's objective until it's subjective. One of the most remarkable times this shows up in Scripture is in the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 28, verse 17 reads, When they saw him, referring to the resurrected Jesus, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now in Greek, that sentence literally reads, When they saw, they worshipped, and they doubted. In the Greek, everyone present worships, and everyone present doubts. Our English translators, they changed it. And when asked why, the primary translator, he said, Well, we had to. It didn't make much sense. People can't worship and doubt at the same time. Clearly, that translator was not Presbyterian. We have managed both of those things together for quite a while now. Sometimes, well-meaning translators make choices. Choices that shape the way we understand a text. And there's a little bit of that happening In our story, in our words from Isaiah today, Isaiah says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. The word eagle in Hebrew is nesher. And if you look up nesher in the most basic biblical Hebrew dictionary, you will find that the first meaning of nesher is vulture. And just like that, you feel for those translators, don't you? They shall mount up on wings like vultures. Well, that sounds like something we'd rather not do, thank you very much. Of course they reached for another large bird with big wings, one that would inspire a little more confidence. Translators apparently said, They were convinced that our modern understanding of vultures would stand in the way of communicating the truth of God's provision and protection. They've got a point, don't they? Now I'm going to try and put all of this delicately, but there is nothing delicate about a vulture. Vultures eat dead things. And they're ugly. Their heads are disproportionately small compared to their bodies. And they are mostly bald so that their feathers don't get messed up while they feast. Now if you were to startle a vulture, it would protect itself. And it would do that by showing you what it had most recently eaten in a very forceful way. And when vultures come across a meal, which is to say, a carcass, they eat until the job is done, meaning that they are almost always too heavy to fly right away. So they sit and they wait and they grunt while they digest because they don't know how to sing. And last but not least, a group of vultures is not called a flock. It's called a wake. Of course it is. Of course it is, because absolutely everything about vultures reminds us of death. Vultures don't ever cause death, though. And that's worth remembering. Vultures deal with the aftermath of death. They deal with all of the things we don't even want to think about, much less face. And they do it without flinching. Vultures consume what the vultures consume the worst the world has to offer. Literally. They can digest bacteria that would seriously harm any other creature that came across it, including humans. They are not built to kill. Their feet and their beaks, they are so weak compared to other creatures that they couldn't do much harm. They don't cause death. They destroy death. And that's pretty close to what we say about God, actually. That in raising Jesus from the dead, God destroyed death forever. Isaiah promises us in chapter 25 that God will swallow up death forever. God will wipe away the tears from all faces and all disgrace will be taken away. Let us be glad and rejoice in that salvation, Isaiah says, the salvation of the God who swallows up death forever. In the apostle Paul, he quotes that exact same line in what is perhaps the most famous text about the power of resurrection. Listen, I will tell you a mystery, he says, we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, and what was written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And one more, just for fun. The most quoted section of Ezekiel is when the prophet finds himself in a valley of dry bones and God says to the prophet, mortal, can these bones live? And Ezekiel somehow clatters the bones back together. But maybe, just maybe, Maybe these bones find life again, because every trace of death has already been stripped away. And of course, at the time, there was only one way that could have happened. A vulture. Now, I'm using a bit of my imagination with that last one, of course. But what I know is this. Vultures remind us of death because they are always around death. And they are always around death because they are sparing us the worst of it. They are keeping its power from spreading any further. But know this too the bird that descends into death also soars higher than an eagle. Their wings aren't as powerful, but vultures know how to soar on wind currents. In 1973, a commercial airliner was flying over Africa at 37,900 feet. Observed by the crew flying at equal height was a vulture. It is the highest altitude ever recorded for a bird of any kind. It might be that vultures, more than any other creature, teach us about God's pervasive presence in our lives. Where can I go from your spirit? Psalm 139 asks. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the furthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. All those people living in exile so long ago, they were in the wilderness. And everything was outside of their control. And I'm sure they would have appreciated the power and majesty and confidence of an eagle. But they were also people from whom everything had been taken. Their home, their language, their family, their religion. They had endured every kind of loss and grief imaginable. So if they had to choose, I suspect they would cast their lots on the vultures, the birds that swallow up death and render it unable to hurt anyone anymore. I know, trust me, I know to our sensibilities, vultures are ugly and awkward and they make us uncomfortable. And that's not likely to change, not anytime soon. But wouldn't it be just like God to hide new life and hope and promise in a creature like that and wonder how long it might take for us to find it? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.